Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you so much for your giving. Um, We kicked off a brand new series last week entitled Table Talk. We're doing something a little bit unique with this series in that we are looking at an Old Testament Bible character by the name of Abraham, who most of you know something about uh, when we bring up the name of Abraham. And last week, we uh, talked about how to ruin a relationship in four easy steps. Um, I enjoyed the message. I hope you got something out of it. That message was really designed um, to apply that to any relationship that you have. That was not marriage uh, specific or anything like that. It was principles that would benefit any relationship that you are engaged in. Uh, Before I give you um, today's title and and dive into it, I want to set the message up a little bit. Several months ago, I was coming down Uh, from our upstairs to our downstairs, and I was coming down uh, the steps, and I was in a hurry. My mind was on several things that day of all the things I had to do. Uh, I'm just thankful no one was there to witness what uh, happened, Um, but because my mind was elsewhere with my to-do list and I was in a hurry, I missed a step, which meant I landed on my behind. couple things went uh, through my mind. Number one, it must have been at least 20 years ago since I had fallen like that because I felt like I needed a body cast. Um, so it had to have been a long time since I had taken a fall like that. And the second thing that, that I thought is this could have been a whole lot worse. And I say that to say I don't know when the last time you fell, slipped, or tripped, but I do know you did not plan to do it. Can I get an amen? You did not plan to do it. Slips are unintended. They're unexpected, yet they cause pain. And that can happen in our relationships. And what I mean by that is no one intends to end up disappointed, dysfunctional, or even divorced, yet all of us have been in one of those seasons, whether it be divorce or whether it be, uh, it's just dysfunctional, or we're just disappointed with our relationships. Um, and so we're looking into the life of Abraham, who was faith-filled. Everybody say faith-filled. Okay, he's faith-filled, but his relationships are highly dysfunctional, which tells me that you can come to church, pray in tongues, prophesy, preach, and still end up in dysfunctional relationships. Uh, So relationships, in order for them to be good, we have to be intentional. We have to work on relationships. And I believe that Abraham's story speaks to all of our stories, no matter the season that we are in. Last week, we covered some of the principles that work for every relationship. But today, I want to unpack a message for those who are living in a single season a single season. I want to call the message Rules to Avoid Dysfunctional Dating. Now, before you tune me out, especially all the married people in the room, uh, I want to encourage you to lean in today specifically, take some notes, because here's here's the truth. You have um, 
single family members. Some of you have sons and daughters who are not married yet. Some of you have grandkids that are not married yet. And maybe your marriage is amazing, um, and you're thinking, this is a message for singles. I don't need it. No, you need to write down some notes, and then you need to bless somebody who's single so that they can avoid some of the pitfalls that we're going to talk about today. And the first way I want to set this up is that I believe that the church, um, we just need to admit that we haven't gotten this right. And the reason we haven't gotten it right is because we tend to frame everything we do in the church through the lens of marriage. Um, we do marriage series. We do marriage small groups. We go to marriage conferences. We have marriage retreats. And so everything is designed around marriage, yet 61% of adults age 18 and older are not married. I want, you, I want to let that sink in. I would have never guessed that's that. 61% of those 18 years of age and older are not married, okay? That tells me, my math's not great, but that tells me only 39% of adults are actually married. Is, that, is my math right? Okay, so that tells me we gotta spend time speaking to the singles and talking about what it looks like to date and to be married. And too often being single is portrayed as a problem, as a prison sentence. But scripture tells us that singleness is not a sickness, but singleness is a God-ordained season. It's a God-ordained season. God in his wisdom chose to give every human that's ever been born, every human in history, a single season because it is valuable. Think about this. God is God. He can do what he wants when he wants. He could have put us all on the earth married. But he chose to put us all on the earth that we would all have a single season before we ever get married because there is something valuable about that single season. As a matter of fact, it may be the most important season in our development because Scripture says that the prerequisite for loving anyone else is learning how to love myself first. That if I don't love myself, I won't love you. Okay, so singleness is not a sickness, it's a season. And scripture tells me, if you read the New Testament, specifically the writings of Paul, that some people are actually called to a single life. I was in my devotional time, this 5.30, thank you baby, devotional time that's happening every day of my 2024. Uh, I was in that um, one morning early, wiping the sleep out of my eyes, the crust out of my eyes, and I'm reading uh, through the book of 1 Corinthians. It's in my Bible reading plan. And as I'm reading this, I would encourage you to go give that a read because the Apostle Paul, he writes to the church at Corinth and he tells them that if they really want to pursue God and if they really want to pursue his purpose for their lives, that it's a whole lot easier to do it while you're single. And I'm reading that thinking, wow, that's not very helpful for all the married people. But he's saying like, if you're single, there's something about pursuing God. There's levels in God and in intimacy with God and, and as it relates to his purposes, that if you're single and not married, 
that your focus is not divided, that you can actually go after God more and pursue God more. How many know once you're married, you better love your wife as Christ loved the church. But if you're single, you can just go after God and whatever happens with everybody else, who cares, right? But if you're married, you got, you got to love your spouse. you got to raise those kids. And so I'm, I'm telling you that when you're single, that is the season to really lean in and know God at a greater level because at some point when you do get married, your, your focus will now be divided, and, and rightfully so. Can I get an amen from all the married people? Rightfully so. Um, and so Paul, he writes that, and we know that some people are called to a single life, but research shows us that 90% of people want to get married. 90% actually want to one day be married, and 80% of them actually will be married. So singleness is only a season, but there is an emerging problem. Despite the stats, people are waiting longer and longer and longer to get married. And the question becomes why? And in short, the transition from being single to being married in our culture and in 2024 is more difficult than it has ever been due to the culture that we're living in. Because transition from one season to the next season is always difficult, but it's extremely difficult for those who are single transitioning into a season of being married. I kind of put it like the, the reason a lot of people are waiting longer and longer to get married, it's kind of like I have to fly a lot to preach and go places. And, and if you live in West Virginia, flying from West Virginia anywhere is very it's just difficult. I, I don't know how else to say it. Like, it's not like we live 15 minutes from an airport and I just go to the airport and then they fly me, you know, directly to where I want to go. Usually I've got to start by driving two hours to Charleston or Roanoke most of the time. Then once I get there, that plane don't even take me to where I'm going. I got to go on that plane so they can connect me to another plane so that that plane can get me. And listen, I'm 46 years old and sometimes that's just too much of a hassle and sometimes I just want to say I'm not going because the transition from Lewisburg to wherever it is I'm going is too hard and I don't want to fool with it. And a lot of people who are single, the transition from being single to being married is too big of a hassle and they're waiting longer and longer and longer to make the jump. They're waiting longer and longer to take that step from being single to being married. They're tired of fighting a dating culture that is built by algorithms and scams, one that is built to overvalue sex and undervalue friendship. They're tired of collecting story after story from bad dates, shallow people swiping the wrong way. Y'all following me this morning? Like they're, they're tired of the confusion that comes from trying to label relationships in a way that seems like progress. You know, we're, we, we posted online and now it's legit only to find out later that this relationship lacks commitment. And all of that is, is coupled with this low grade fear that in the end, they'll end up just like their family members and their friends who end up divorced and dysfunctional. And so people are not doing it. They're waiting longer and longer to do it. And if any of this describes you, I want to encourage you that finding love does not have to be dysfunctional. That God cares about every single part of your life, including your love life. And that he can deliver you 
to his desired destination. Don't let culture's craziness keep you from what God has for you. It's not God's plan for you to arrive at the altar broken. It's God's plan that through his word, you will be enlightened. Through his grace, you will be sustained. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be led into life-giving relationships. Can we praise the Lord if we believe that? Now, that's a massive long introduction, right? So let's look at Genesis chapter 24. We're going to read a text from Abraham, and then I'm going to give you four things from the text today that I think will help you. Um, Let me set this up. Abraham was coming to the end of his life, and he realizes his son is 40, and he's still single. And this is no small issue because whoever Isaac married would be at the center of God's plan to birth a nation. So Abraham's getting old. Isaac's 40. He's not married. He's thinking, we're going to do this whole nation building thing. Isaac's going to have to get married. Like we can't build or birth a nation if he's still single. And as Abraham assessed the situation, he recognized there was no quality candidates in their region. So he put a plan in place. He set a target. And he sent one of his trusted servants to an area so that they could find a wife for Isaac. And here's where the story picks up in Genesis 24, starting in verse 10. It says, The servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram, or Naharim, and made his way to the town of Nahor. And he had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time when the women would go out to draw water. And he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today. Show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this time, I will know, or by this I will know, that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. Verse 17 says, the servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Now, we know from from the two verses we're getting ready to read, that Abraham's framework for finding love, this whole thing worked. He had success. Here's what verses 66 and 67 tell us. It says, Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. Now, I don't know exactly the conversation that happened between Abraham and this servant 
who went on this journey to find a wife for Isaac. But I believe there are four rules that we can gain from this encounter that will help everybody in the room today. Uh, if you're married, I need you to write notes down so you can help the single people. And if you're single, I really need you to lean in. All the married people just stare real weird at the single people, all right? We wanna help them today. Here, here are the four things. Number one, what we learned from this is don't date alone. Don't date alone. The very first thing you notice about Isaac's process is that it wasn't Isaac's process alone. That he had a group of godly people helping him. Marriage is when two people become one, but the best marriages include more than two people. I'll say it like this, we need godly community in our lives. And this is one of the major differences between modern dating and the process we read about in the scripture. Today, dating is two people making decisions in isolation, often behind screens, leaving family out, leaving mentors out until it gets serious. And then once it's serious, now we want to involve everyone in the process. And it's totally different than what we read about in the story. Do you know how many times I've been at a wedding to officiate the wedding and we're at the rehearsal or even sometimes on the wedding day and I'm standing up there, I'm getting ready to bring a man and a woman together and somebody from the, the wedding party will look at me and say, pastor, I really hope they make it. How did we get here? How, how did we get to a place that those closest to you can say, I really hope they can make it? I'll tell you how we, we get there. We get there because we don't give godly community permission to speak into the relationship before we decide that we want to be married and live our life with this person. We don't give people permission or access. Listen, you, if you're going to date someone and then ultimately get married to that individual, you need to include your family in the process. You need to include mentors in the process. You need to ask your pastor, listen, I will make time for you. If you're single and you call Bethesda Church home and you want to know, is this the person I should be married to, I will make time in my schedule to meet with you to speak into the relationship on the front side because I would rather speak to it on the front side than 10 years when you're ready to go get divorced because it's not working. There's a lot of disaster we could avoid if we would give people access on the front side to speak in to our relationship. We, we see in this story, there are people active in serving as scouts, people looking at potential partners on behalf of Isaac. We got gatekeepers who ensured that the pace would never get out of control. There are counselors involved that would provide a place to process feelings. And, and you may not have all of those positions in place, but you do need godly community. And that doesn't mean a friend who is no further down the road than you are in relationship. And that does not mean a friend friend who knows more Beyonce lyrics than they do God's word. You need some people that know Jesus intimately, know the word of God well, and can speak with wisdom into the relationship. You say, why do I need to include my parents in that? Well, if they're signing up to spend the next 40 Thanksgivings and Christmases with this person you're choosing, if they're going to give 40 years to this person, you might want to see how they feel about the person. 
You might want to find out how, how does your small group, the people you're doing community, how do they feel about it? And if they say it's good, great, but if they say you need to hold up, you need to be okay with that. See what I'm preaching right now makes some people mad because we don't want anybody to tell us what to do, who to marry, how to do it. We want to do our own thing. And, and what community acknowledges, community acknowledges that love is blind. If you don't believe me, ask any hunter in the room. Deer are some of the most elusive and cautious animals on the planet. Some of you have sat in trees for weeks and come up empty because they know how to avoid danger. That is until they are in rut. Once they're lovesick, they lose all sense they start looking for love in all the wrong places. They put their head down and they walk right out into the open and boom, they're on the wall. Right? Some of you fellas got them on your wall as proof that, that love is blind. Some, some of the fellas are like, you know, pastor, I know how to date and I know how to wait. I'm just ready to mate. Right? You're ready to dive head first off a cliff. And nobody, and you have nobody there to say, slow your roll. Like, slow down a little bit. You don't know what you're doing. You're headed for destruction. Romantic feelings are intoxicating. And it's in those, the throes of infatuation that we lose objectivity. Having the right voices is one of the only things that will keep you from danger. You need godly community in your life. It's why Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now, there are people right now in the room and watching online, and you're pushing back, and you're saying, you know, pastor, I love them. That's all that matters. That's all that should matter. You know, this whole uh, including people in my relationship is, is just not normal. And my response to that is, normal is not working. Normal has perpetuated pain, dysfunction, therapy, and divorce. We don't want normal results. We want God results, and God's results require God's ways. Go ahead and give him a praise if you're going to give him one. Like, let's not patty cake. Let's, let's say yes. Let's help some single people today. Number two, don't omit God's voice. One of my favorite parts of this story is that Isaac's servant wasn't looking for a girl. He was looking for God's will. And that's why he made prayer a central part of the process. According to Gallup, Americans in, in America, nine out of ten say they pray daily. Now, when I read that stat, I come up with like two outcomes. Nine out of ten Americans say that they pray. All right, so first thing I think is we got a bunch of liars, right? We got a lot of people lying about their prayer life. The, the other thing is, well, if they are praying, they don't know how. Because what they're doing is they're treating prayer as some kind of wish list that I bring to God 
so he can give me everything I want. Listen, prayer is not about so much what God can do for you. Prayer is about what God wants to do in you. And prayer is not just about me saying what I want. Prayer is, is not only sharing my heart with God, but prayer is after I've shared my heart with God that I take time to listen because the Holy Spirit wants to give me insight that I will not have on my own. He wants to give me wisdom that will protect me in my future. It's not just about my words. It's about me hearing his words. That's what prayer is. It's a dialogue. God wants to speak back to you. And so Rebecca, when we look at this, the servant saw Rebecca, and you have to understand it was at the time when the women would draw water, which means he saw all kinds of women, but the Holy Spirit only highlighted one. The Holy Spirit only put a light on the one. That was God's plan in all of this. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 6 that we are to pray at all times, on every occasion, in every season. Pray in the Spirit with all manner of prayer. To that end, keep alert and watch with strong purpose. It simply means that I'm going to invite the Lord to show me what I cannot see, and I'm going to allow him to guide me. Our worship team is a great example of this. They get up here and they sing so beautifully. How many enjoyed that thank you for the blood song? Wasn't that beautiful? Like I, I'm like, I don't know if I can get up there after that. I just want to like kneel down and pray. That's what I wanted to do, like spend time in God's presence. But they rehearse and they practice and they work hard to be able to lead you into the presence of God. But one of the things you may not know is they have uh, these little in-ear things and they have multi-tracks that help keep everybody on the same page. They also have a music director speaking to them in their ear to make sure that everybody in the band and all the vocalists are on the same page. And without that music director at times telling them where the song is going we're going into this course or into this bridge or we're going to do that one more time without that it could be a total disaster but with that everybody's in sync everybody's able to flow and I'm telling you if you will get in sync with the Holy Spirit he will show you things to come he'll give you wisdom that you don't know that you you could even have he'll 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 direct your past how many are thankful for the Holy Spirit that will lead us and guide us into all truth that's what, that's what I'm getting at. The Holy Spirit wants to lead you, and he wants to guide you. He'll prompt you to avoid certain people. He'll call attitudes to your attention. He'll push you to ask the right questions. He'll highlight certain comments. He'll, he'll, he'll say, move forward when it's time to move forward. He'll also say, pull back when it's time to pull back. He knows what you need and when you need it. So we want to, we're not going to date alone. And we're not, going, we're not going to omit God's voice. Number three, don't sacrifice character. Forbes magazine reports that there are over 8,000 online dating platforms globally. 8,000 online dating platforms. And many of these are highly specialized. Some of the lesser known um, sites include a site for gluten-free singles looking <laughs> for other gluten-free singles. One of my favorites are Amish singles looking for other Amish singles. My, my question is, how do they get on the website? I'm, I'm a little confused. Um, one of my favorites that I see here is, is marryMeAlready.com. 
And this one's designed for you to have one date and decide if you're getting married or not. These people don't even have time to date. Like, marry me today or not? All these different websites and, and online dating platforms, I believe that there has been a consequence of adopting a consumer mentality when it comes to dating. In, in other words, we want to date someone the same way we order a pizza. I want a large pizza with pepperoni, sausage, and extra cheese. And some of us, that's the way we approach dating. It's a consumer mentality. Oh, he needs to be six foot two, and he needs to be, you know, chiseled out of stone. He needs to be funny, a great cook, in shape, attentive, and very successful. Listen, we are not constructing a robot from human parts. That's not what we're doing. In 2011, a consultant to online dating companies published the results from a survey of 39 different industry executives and here's what they came up with they said this online dating has made people more disposable and may be partly responsible for the rise of divorce rates while we're swiping left and swiping right we forget these are real people who were created in the image of God and they are not something to be consumed they are people to be loved we don't date like we order a pizza. It's not, not the way we, we handle that. The Bible is very clear, though, that Rebecca, in verse 16, we left that out, but in verse 16 of Genesis 10, it tells us that she was beautiful. Everybody say beautiful. You know what that tells me? You don't have to be nervous, single folks. You should be attracted to the person that you end up marrying. Can I get an amen from all the married people? right? You should be physically attracted to them. But it's not limited to just physical attraction to the person because the Bible spends a lot more time talking about Rebecca's character than it does talking about Rebecca's good looks, okay? Check this out. We learn from the text that Rebecca was, number one, she was productive. The servant asked for a drink and she offered not only him a drink, but she offered to water his camels, meaning that she was not afraid of work. Listen, I know this isn't sexy, but you do need someone with a job. You, you need someone that understands how money works. You need someone that has an amb amb ambition. You say, well, their laugh is so cute. Well, their credit score is going to make you cry. Her eyes make me melt. Well, she's had six jobs in the last five years. That's a problem. See, we, we, we get caught up in these things. We get infatuated because love is blind, and we, we're omitting character. We're sacrificing character. When you're dating someone, and you're thinking this is a potential marriage, you need to ask a million questions. You say, Pastor, are you kidding? I ain't kidding. Like, and when you've asked a million, ask two more. Like, you need to know some stuff. Like, what's your name? Is that your real name? Is that your daddy's name? You say, well, you know, Pastor, uh, they, they go to church and speak in tongues. They said they're a member of Bethesda Church. I think I found my husband. You might have found the devil. Just because they rolled up into Bethesda Church on a Sunday morning don't mean it's the right one for you. Can I get somebody to help me right there? 
That's not what it means. You need to ask some questions. A lot of questions. Ask them, how, how, do you get, how are you when you're mad? Do you throw stuff? Do you cuss? Do you like beating up on people? Ask them some questions. Do you have a job? Where do you work? How long have you worked there? How much money do you make? Do you have a bank account? How is your credit? Can I see your credit score? Y'all think I'm joking. I'm not. Do you have a house? Do you live in an apartment? Are you still in your mama's basement? Do you plan on being fine like that for our whole marriage, or do you plan on getting big? Do you have insurance? Can you pay for your funeral if you die? Come on, y'all, help me out. You need to ask some questions. You need to know. How do you look without makeup? Don't wear, don't wear any tomorrow. I want to see. I want to know. How is your relationship with soap and water? Do you shower? Like, ask some questions. Okay? Are y'all getting anything out of this? This is all right. I'm doing marriage counseling right now. I'm getting you ready. Ask some questions. So, so Rebecca, she was productive, but she was also presentable. The Bible notes she was well-dressed, looked the servant in the eye, and was able to carry on a conversation. All of this is important because the way you see yourself is revealed in the way you present yourself. For example, if I present as arrogant, it's because I'm selfish. If I present as overly attentive, maybe I struggle with people-pleasing. If all I do is name drop and tell you who I know and what brands and labels I wear, maybe I have a problem with insecurity. And I understand that no one is perfect. That's not what I'm talking about. Everyone does have issues, but you need to be honest about what's under the surface because you're dating who they are, not the potential they have. Some people, get, they, they want to get married because they think, I can change them. You ain't the Holy Spirit, baby. You ain't the Holy Ghost. If you're getting ready to marry somebody because you think you can change them, you're setting yourself up now to be a Jezebel. To control and manipulate and do whatever you can to get out of this what you think you want. You need to make sure you're not marrying on potential. Because you know what potential is? Potential means you haven't done anything yet. That's all potential is. We're not marrying based on potential. We're marrying based on who you are. And the best indicator of someone's future behavior is their previous behavior. So how do they treat their family? How do they treat the waitress? Do they tip well? Do they work hard? These are important things to ask. She was also pleasant under pressure. She was pleasant under pressure. I, I don't know when the last time you watered camels was, but I think it's important to take a moment to understand what Rebecca did. She had a five-gallon bucket that they would use to draw this water with, a five-gallon bucket. And each of the camels, if you research camels, for them to drink enough to be satisfied meant that each camel, 10 of them, would drink up to 50 gallons. Meaning that when she gave him a drink and then said, I'll take care of your camels, she carried 500 gallons of water. Approximately three hours of work. She was showing that I'm going to remain pleasant under pressure. Because one of the realities is, is that you can only fake character so long 
eventually pressure will crack the facade. For 500 gallons, she kept, she remained with a servant's heart. When her knees started getting sore, her kindness endured. When her back started hurting, her generosity endured. She never lost her temper, she never complained, she never cut a corner. That's why you need to date long enough to find all of this out about the person you're signing up to marry. You need to know how they handle the good times, but equally important, you need to know how they handle the not so good times. You need to see them at their best and you need to see them at their worst. And a good indicator that this is a person I can join up with is when they're at their worst or going through their worst season, that they're still better than most of the other people. That's a good indicator. I can, I can do life with this person. Some people will say, Pastor, we've never had an argument. I'm like, get out of my office and go fight. <laughs> it's important. You need to know. What's it going to look like when you get in an argument, when you don't agree? What's it going to look like when you get the worst? How many know when you're married, you're going to share the worst moments of life together? The loss of that loved one, the loss of a job, an untimely death, uh, betrayal. You're going to deal with all of that together, and you need to know how will they handle pressure? Is their character going to be intact even when the pressure is tough? Don't date alone. Don't omit God's voice. Don't sacrifice character. As the worship team returns, number four, don't dismiss compatibility. We think the term compatibility means how we get along. That's what we typically think. Do we like the same food? Do we like the same music? Uh, But that's not what it means. It's not what it means at all. Uh, Karen and I, in a lot of ways, we are opposites. Like, if you ask where I would want to go eat and where she would want to go eat, it's not always the same. If you ask what show I would want to watch, what one she would, not the same. Music, the same thing. Like, we're opposites on a lot of those things, but we are on the same spiritual mission. Compatibility means that my partner and I pursue the same thing. God and his mission for our lives. Rebecca was not a contestant on The Bachelor. She was committing to leave her family, to leave what was familiar, and join herself to God's promise to where Isaac and his people would become her people, and Isaac and his God would become her God. She was going in the same direction. And it's what's known as the power of the pull. I'm gonna give you a verse to all the single people to put on your refrigerator today. Here it is, Deuteronomy chapter number 22. Verse number 10, this is your verse, all single people. You must not plow with an ox and a donkey harnessed together. That's your scripture. This doesn't seem like a dating verse unless you're on farmersonly.com. But within the practical, there really is a spiritual principle. You would never harness an ox with a donkey because they're stride and their stature are different, causing them to pull against one another. And I see this so much today. Someone is pursuing God, they're passionate in worship, they're connecting in a group, they're serving on a team, they got a prayer life and a devotional life, and everything's going well, and you look up one day and you realize they're gone. They're gone, you can't find them. And a lot of times we'll discover that they started dating someone 
who was heading in a different direction. They got linked up with someone who was pulling in the opposite direction. And in this case, the power of the pull is destructive. So before you link up your life with someone, you need to ask yourself, you need to ask them and ask the Holy Spirit, are they going where you're going? Are they moving in the same direction that you're moving? Because you don't wanna spend your life going in different directions and you're having to drag them to church. Listen, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. If you're single and you're a Christian, you have zero business dating an unbeliever. Zero. If they're not safe, it's off the table. We're not going out. Come on, we're not passing go. We're not collecting $200. We're not doing it. We're not doing any of it. You don't want to drag them to church and drag them to family functions and drag them in the same direction that you're going. You want someone who is going in the same direction. That's what compatibility means. doesn't mean we both have to like Mexican food. Though the real anointed of the Lord love Mexican. Let me throw that out. Karen would tell you the real anointed love Chinese. Like it's, it's a whole thing. It doesn't mean we like the same food. It means our life. Listen to me. It's moving in the same direction. If not, you tie the knot and you get married. What do people say? We fell out of love. No, you've been going in this different directions for so long. You can no longer see how we could ever fill in this gap. You got to get on the same page. The power of the pull can be destructive, but the power of the pull can also be very positive. When two people, they may not like the same food, same music, same TV show, same anything, but their life is moving in the same direction what God can do. And I'm believing for the single people in this room, you're not just going to end up in some relationship, constantly pulling them and dragging or being dragged, being pulled. You're going to end up in a relationship. You're going to end up married to someone that loves God the same way you love God, moving in a direction that honors God and brings peace into that marriage. Anybody believe that with me? That's going to happen. I want you to stand with me. I'm gonna wrap this up right here. You've probably heard people say that the divorce rate among Christians is no different than that of non-Christians. That statement is not entirely true. And what I mean by that, they did a study at the University of Virginia, UVA, and it was Bradford Wilcox was the leading sociologist and he found that active Christians, not, not people who say I'm a Christian, active Christians. They pray, they read their Bible, they go to church together, they serve together. Their life is truly moving in the same direction. They are 40% less likely to divorce than any other people group on the planet. It's not the same. Something happens when we're, we're moving in the right direction and we're honoring God because what happens when two people are doing that they're finding satisfaction from the relationship with God. They're finding confidence from the relationship with God. And they're also finding their identity in the relationship with God, which means that they actually put fewer expectations on their spouse to do for them what only God can do for them. 
You say, well, pastor, how do I find that kind of person? Some of you have been looking around the room this morning. Where's my Boaz, right? Where's my Rebecca? Where's my Ruth? We're looking around the room. You say, well, how, how do I find a person like that? Here's how. Become a person like that. Become that person. If you become that person, you'll attract that kind of person. It's why the scripture says, seek God first and all these other things will be added to you. I wanna pray over you this morning. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. In this moment, as we're turning our attention to the Holy Spirit, I wanna speak real quick to the married people in the room. I think sometimes the reason the single people are having a hard time to transition from being single to even thinking about marriage is because they've been exposed to so many messed up marriages, dysfunctional marriages, uh, conversations where husbands are being bashed and wives are being bashed. As married couples who love God and called according to his purpose, we need to represent something that single people say, when I look at that marriage, that is what I want. That is what I'm, I, I'm seeking out. I want a marriage like that. So Father, I pray over every person in this room, every single person in this room, every married couple that's maybe in this message, they, they see areas, God, where they're not pulling in the same direction, but they've been pulling in opposite directions. I pray right now in the name of Jesus over that marriage, God, that you would help them to get on the same page and begin to move in the same direction. I pray that their marriages would be blessed and they, they would be prospered, God. Lord, that they would be a testimony to every single person around them, every single person in their family of what a healthy marriage looks like. And God, today I pray specifically over the singles in the room and those watching online. Holy Spirit, be their God. Give them wisdom. Help them to not be afraid of crucial conversations that would need to take place before they would join their life to someone else. I pray that you'd give them a patience, God, that they would wait on a person that is actually moving in the same direction they are moving. God, it's powerful what happens when two people are on the same page, moving in the same direction. Your favor is poured out on that marriage, on everything they put their hands to. I speak life over every single in this room today. That being single is not a sickness. It is a season and it's a valuable season. I'm gonna ask that my prayer team right now, staff, if you'd go ahead and get in place, we're getting ready to open up these altars. And I, I don't want you, if you're single in the room today, I'm gonna give a couple of instructions right here. Staff, prayer team, get in place. If you're single in the room today, I feel like we need to open up these altars and give you an opportunity to say, PC, I'm single, I hear the message, I wanna apply the message, and I want God to be in charge of my relationship. If, if you're in one now, or maybe it's a future relationship that you will have. And I just want prayer over that. I, I just want to, to know that I've, I've brought that into the presence of God. People have prayed for me and with me. I want you to come and respond to this altar time. Allow us to pray for you. If you're in a marriage and you're struggling, this altar is open. And I'm gonna give a third instruction right here. If you're not right with Jesus, 
How many know that is the most important relationship? If you're not right with Jesus, you know that you need to repent and turn from sin and follow Jesus. I want you to come find one of these altar workers here this morning. They will help lead you uh, into a relationship with Jesus. Don't leave here the same way you came in. Come and let somebody pray with you and for you. The worship team's gonna take it from here as they come to sing. Can we give Jesus a praise for everything he's doing in this room this morning? These altars are open. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.